Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips, and i got a bit of a different show for you today. We're going to talk a little golf on the podcast for the first time, with the PGA champion set to begin at Belarive Country Club later this week. I'm going to be joined by Dan Martini, a longtime friend of mine with a golf industry professional, to break down the big storylines to look for over the weekend. Be sure to stay tuned until the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, where I take a look at the ridiculous reason Terrell Owens decided not to attend the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Canton. We get it all rolling with our opening tip. We'll take a look at the Yankees' bad weekend in Boston right after this. Y'all ready for this? And we're back with today's opening tip. Now, everyone who listens to this podcast knows I'm a big Mets fan. As a Mets fan, I'm used to having disastrous weekends. What the Yankees went through this weekend in Boston right up there with any bad weekend the Mets have ever had. This was a huge series for the Yankees. Going to Boston, trailing by five and a half games, need to make some hay on the on the series because the Red Sox are running away with the division. And they go in there and they get swept. And the losses just got worse and worse and worse as the weekend went on. Now Boston walks out of the weekend with a nine and a half game lead, up eight in the loss column. And the AL race is virtually over. How did we get here? Let's go game by game. Start Thursday night. Yankees jump out early 4-2. Catch a bad break when CeCe Sabathia gets hurt and has to leave the game. But they bring in Jonathan Holder in the fourth inning. Now Holder was pretty reliable this year, but everything just fell apart for him. Let's take a look at how Holder fared in the fourth inning. Walk the leadoff man. Gives up a double. A run scores on error on a fielder's choice. Gives up a three-run homer. Because of a double, an RBI single, an RBI double, and he's out of the game. That's right. He faced seven batters without recording an out. Before you could even blink, it went from 4-2 Yankees to 10-4 Red Sox. Red Sox ran away from there, put up 15 runs, won the game. Friday, Yankees need a win. Luis Severino's on the mound. Has another bad start. He's up four runs on seven hits, three walks, and five and two-thirds innings. Puts the Yankees in a hole. But their offense should be able to overcome that, right? Wrong. The offense got one hit by Rick Porcello, who threw a complete game on 86 pitches. That's unheard of in today's game. I don't even know if I could throw 86 pitch complete games at MLB the show. Now we go to Saturday. Red Sox are throwing their new acquisition, Nate Evaldi, former Yankee, who was very average at them. He goes eight shutout innings and gives up only three hits. The Yankees had a tough break there. They threw rookie Chance Adams in because J.A. Happ could not start this game because of the hand, foot, and mouth disease. He was fine. Get three runs, five innings against a tough Boston lineup. You sign for that with a rookie pitcher in Fenway Park against the best team in baseball. But the office did nothing to support him. And then we get to last night. Last night figured it'd be a good chance for the Yankees to get out of there with a win. Masahiro Tanaka is pitching. He's done very well this year. He pitched very well of late. And the Red Sox throwing David Price. David Price has been a good pitcher for the Red Sox. But when he, since he's come to Boston, he has been horrendous against the Yankees. Going back to the start of 2016, when he was a member of the Red Sox for the first time, Price started against the Yankees nine times entering last night. No starts. He went 2-6 with an 8.43 RA, gave up 44 earned runs in 47 innings pitched, including 19 homers. Price got through six shutout innings to start the game. Finally got into trouble in the seventh. An error by Xander Bogarts opened the floodgates. The Yankees score four runs, figure they're on their way, going to win this game, at least salvage something. 
But then a role this Chapman comes in and says, all right, offense, hold my beer. I'm going to make, find a way to make this even worse. He comes in, walks three guys. He's about two-run single of J.D. Martinez. Red Sox tie the game on Miguel Andujar's second error of the game. We go to extras. Our good friend Jonathan Holder comes back in. He's about a two-out hit to light-hitting Sandy Leone. Throws a wild pitch to bring the second. And gets walked off by Andrew Benintendi. Not pretty. The Mets have had bad weekends, but it's rare you see a weekend that bad at the Yankees. Now they've got pressure shifts to holding on to the first wild card spot. Everyone assumed the Yankees were fine. The 30 games over 500 entering this entering last week. Now they're closer, they're closer to the pack. The team to watch here is the Oakland A's. The A's have won 33 of 43 entering play today, August 6th. They could easily steal home field from the Yankees if they're not careful. The Yankees are up two and a half games on them. They're up five on Seattle, who is currently the odd team out. The schedule's still in the Yankees' favor. They still have a lot of games against bad teams. They can easily get back on track and get into the playoffs. But right now, they need to start warning again to avoid making things dicey September. The Yankees have a big trip out west in September. They play Oakland and Seattle. They still have seven more games. I believe six or seven more games with the Red Sox. They should have enough uh, winnable games left in their schedule to easily get over 100 and get the home field in the wild card, but it's not as big of a lock as it was a couple days ago. Coming up next, a preview of the PGA Championship with golf industry professional Dan Martini. Welcome back to the Just End the Suffering podcast. This is still a young podcast, only nine episodes in as of today, so I want to play around with a few things. Today we're going to dive into the world of golf for the first time with the PGA Championship set to tee off this weekend. Joining me today to talk golf is a golf industry professional and a longtime friend of mine, Dan Martini. Dan, welcome. How are you? Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. And we go back a long time. You know I'm not a huge golf guy. Can you tell, can you tell me on what I'm missing by not following the PGA Tour? Uh, you're missing some of the best athletes in the world. Um, compete at one of the hardest games to play. I think the PGA Tour has been an icon in the sporting world for a long time, and I think today's competition is better than ever. So you should start watching. Yeah, I know. This would be a good week to start watching because this is we have the PGA Championship this week. This is the last year it's going to be held in August. The calendar is changing. It's going to be bumped up to May, a slot between the Masters and the U.S. Open. Can you tell me a little bit about why they're doing that? Sure. So when you look at the golf calendar, historically, each season uh, in recent memory has ended now in September with the FedEx Cup. Playoffs are four events, and it always ends at the Tour Championship in Atlanta at East Lake. What we're doing now is trying to set up golf so that it's most enjoyable for the fans. So by compressing the calendar and making it so that each month from March all the way till August is a marquee event starting in March with the players, the Masters in April, the PGA Championship in May, the U.S. Open in June, and the British Open in July, culminating in a final playoff for the FedEx Cup and the Tour Championship in August, sets it up so that fans really have something exciting every couple weeks on tour. It also obviously allows the golf season to own the month of August, and it doesn't compete with the World Series, the start of the NFL season, the start of the college football season. It gives golf a marquee spot in the sports calendar with the month of August. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This year's championship is being held at Belle Reve. It's located near St. Louis. It's the third time major has been held there. 
those who are curious, Gary Player won the 1965 U.S. Open there, and the 1992 PGA Championship was held there, which won Nick Price. Why don't you tell me about how the course will play and what types of golfers it favors? Sure. So that's what's interesting about Belle Reve is that in recent memory, the you know there was the 2013 Senior PGA Championship was there. But going back, there hasn't been a score event there since the 2008 BMW Championship. So if you look at how the player field has changed just over the past few years with a bunch of young stars coming on tour between Spieth and Thomas, a lot of these guys haven't necessarily played at Bell Reef. So when you look at the tour calendar each year, there's a bunch of courses that get played in a you know every year or every other year rotation. Uh, this is one that should be interesting because we don't know a lot about how it will play uh, from a competitive standpoint. The course was renovated in 2006. Um, it was originally created by Robert Trent Jones, and then his son, Reese Jones, actually reformatted it. What he did was he kept his father's original design but made it at a championship level, changing some of, of the bunkers and some of the sight lines on tour. So um, just for a lot of these players, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to navigate a course they haven't been too familiar with, um, along with competing for the last major of the year before you get to the FedEx Cup playoffs. So this is an interesting time in the season. You've got a lot of players that are hot right now. Uh, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Tiger had a great month in July. And I think we're going to get a really exciting last major of the year. Okay, also, more specifically, I was just wondering, like, is this more of a course where, like, you have to, like, bomb it out to win, or is this more precise, a precise shot maker's course? You know, there there's a little bit of water on the course. I think what you'll see, I think 11 of the holes or so have water hazards. You'll see a lot of um, fairways that are lined with trees. What I'll say on this one is length on tour is obviously always going to help from a scoring perspective. The guys that are at the top of the leaderboard every year are driving for distance and accuracy. So off the tee is a crucial component for most players. What I will say is that this particular course benefits the guys that can keep it in the fairway and hit greens in regulation. Now you say that's basically every week, but scrambling is going to be a little more difficult on this course based on where the bunkers are and just how you have to navigate each hole. So you're going to want to put yourself in the right positions off the tee box. You might have a longer approach to the greens, but you definitely want to make sure that your sight lines are are precise. So that's why it favors a little bit more of the Jordan Spieth, Zach Johnson, some of the guys that are pretty accurate off the tee but aren't necessarily driving at 340 yards off you know each shot. So okay. The PJ hasn't had a repeat winner since Tiger Woods in 2006 and 2007. Defending champion is Justin Thomas, who's ranked third in the world and won by two strokes at Crow Hollow last year. What do you think of his chances to repeat? I hate to say it, but I think that Justin Thomas uh, is the man to beat this year. And it's nothing against Justin Thomas, but he's on fire. I mean, if anybody watched this past weekend, what he did at Bridgestone was absolutely incredible. He There was a fantastic star-studded leaderboard at the WGC Bridgestone and Justin Thomas had a pretty commanding win so I do think that Justin Thomas he's had a great year he's got three wins on tour this year he is long off the tee deadly accurate with his long irons and when he's putting there's not too many guys that can beat him so I think Justin Thomas has a fantastic chance 
to win this week. I think he is the favorite. Um, I, I would say some other guys at the top right now, Dustin Johnson, is if he's on with the putter, he's going to be hard to beat. He'll be put pressing Thomas the whole week. Um, I think that a sleeper of sorts, it's hard to call him a sleeper, but I think he's my pick for this week is Jordan Spieth. Uh, I think Jordan's game, he's peaking at the right time right now, and I think if he finds the putter early on Thursday and Friday, that he'll be pushing his best buddy, Justin Thomas, pretty hard all weekend. One guy you didn't mention there was Tiger Woods, who drew a lot of headlines coming out of the British for his performance. He was right there at the end, collapsing the final round. Do you think you can take that momentum forward with him and actually win here? Tiger is an interesting case right now. For those golf fans out there that have been following him closely, they know that he's actually a lot closer to winning than his eventual you know, week-by-week finish on the leaderboard. Tiger had a great month of July. You can call it a collapse or whatever it is at the Open. Uh, but, you know, he tied for fourth at Quicken Loans, tied for sixth at the Open, this past week, he was great on Thursday, Friday, didn't have a great weekend. Tiger going into this past week was actually leading the tour in third-round scoring. So that goes to show you that, you know, he's he's got the ability to go out on any given day and still be the old Tiger. I'm having a hard time with how strong some of the other players are playing right now to have Tiger as my particular pick this week. But his season kind of has a, a, a great narrative to it. He came out hot. He's shown that he can make it through quite a few events. He's shown that he can lead a major event. And Tiger is a guy who's always going to be confident in his game. He's going to come out every single time and expect to win. And when you look at what Tiger has done so far, his experience just with what happened at the Open this year, you know, it's hard to say that, you know, Tiger's not the favorite, but, you know, he's still looking for major 15. He's only a few away from Jack's record. Could he come out this week and win? Absolutely. It's just going to be, he's going to have to beat a guy like Thomas. He's going to have to beat a guy like Dustin Johnson. And some of the other top players out there, Rory McIlroy's been hot lately. Rory is desperate to, to win. Uh, you know, Tiger's going to have to bring his absolute best to beat some of these younger players who have shown that lately they're the ones that are dominant when it comes to the majors. Okay. We're now in a world of legalized sports betting. And most people don't know that golf is actually a decent sport to bet because the odds of the favorites are usually like 10 to 1 or higher. Dustin Johnson is entering as the favorite here. So with some of your knowledge and unlock, you can make some shekels off of golf bets. Who are some like <laughs> deep sleepers you have your eye on for the championship? Sure, sure. I like I like three guys as deep sleepers this week. Um, Xander Shoffley, who had a fantastic year last year, uh, won the Tour Championship, uh, didn't win the FedEx Cup Championship, but uh, you know a, a top-flight rookie last season, came back in this year, has competed, has pushed the top of leaderboards. He's a guy that doesn't necessarily drive it a long way, but he makes those birdies. He makes the putts that other guys leave short or, or push it too long. Xander is, is a guy I'm keeping my eye on. I Actually, this might surprise some people, but I'm on the Jason Duffner bandwagon. He can come out any given week and be at the very top of the leaderboard. I think that with his past experience with the PGA Championship, 
um, and getting a win and just being the guy that no one really expects to win. I think that he's in a really good spot with this game. He seems to be in a good spot mentally and in his personal life, and I think that he is definitely a guy to keep an eye on. I wouldn't be shocked to see Duffner, you know, second, third, or, or third place going into Sunday. So keep an eye on Duffner. And then there's a, a, another young guy named Joaquin Neiman who has basically just been an anomaly since he came on tour this year. Super young guy, super talented, uh, great amateur player, and I think he could push the same way that Xander Shoffley did last year. So keep an eye on those three names. My pick is Spieth this week. I think what happens is you've got Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas and Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy and Ricky Fowler and all these great players who any given week can come out and win. I think that Jordan expects the most out of himself and at any given moment is is right there ready to um, capture a major. And we all know that he can do it. He's proven it time and time again now. Um, this would be as winning the PGA Championship would complete the career Grand Slam for him, and I think that um, he's primed to do it. Uh, this is going to be a great event. I think there's a lot of X factors going on here. There, it's a, a not very well known course. It's going to be St. Louis, Missouri, in the middle of the summer. It's going to be hot. Uh, and you've got a lot of young talent all trying. Actually, the most interesting thing about this week also is that there's uh, a, several Ryder Cup positions on the line. So you can get an automatic bid depending on your performance this week. So you're going to get a lot of guys that I've already named here that are also pushing for their positions to get locked in. Uh, the coach for the American team is going to be Jim Furyk, and Furyk is going to be watching very closely this week to pick um, his eventual captain's picks. So not only the automatic big guys, but you want to show that you're playing your best golf at the end of the year leading into the FedEx playoff, which are obviously the you know ultimate prize in golf. So yeah, I was actually very fun to watch. Yeah, I was actually looking up the odds of some of the guys you mentioned on there. Jordan Spieth currently eight eighteen to one. That's actually sixteen to one. My mistake. That's your that's your favorite. Uh, Shoffley is fifty to one. Uh, Neiman is 80 to one and Jason Duffner won 25 to one. So those are good odds. You can get them. Yeah. I think, I think those three guys are names to watch. It'll be very interesting to see how this course plays. I mean, no one really knows. So it, this isn't like a quail hollow or one of the courses that we kind of know who's going to play pretty well there. And I think that it's going to be an exciting finish. Um, it, every time that you get a marquee event like this, you hope that, uh, you know, the names that everybody loves, the golf fans support, the, the, the Fowlers and the Tiger, all of them, you hope that they're always at the top of the leaderboard. But there's so much talent right now on tour that um, you just can't be surprised if one of these lower-odd guys get all the way to the top pretty quickly. All it takes is one or two good rounds, and you're right in the mix again. So don't be shocked if the scores are low on Thursday, Friday, and then by Saturday, Sunday, guys start to go on a run okay one interesting piece of golf news that isn't related to the pga championship is this 10 million dollar winner all take all match between tiger woods and phil mickelson somewhere around thanksgiving how do you think it's going to work and do you think if it's a success that golf will look to emulate with some other like future events with some of the top players like maybe like a spieth versus mcelroy kind of thing or something like that it's really interesting you say that um golf 
obviously has two living icons, uh, playing icons right now in Phil Nicholson and Tiger Woods. So growing up as a golf fan, it's not necessarily like you had to choose a side, but you could definitely tell that there were Tiger fans and then there were Phil fans. And especially when you would go to the events um, in New York that were played, the U.S. Open out on Long Island, you could always tell there were the Phil supporters, Tiger supporters. So this is a great opportunity for those fans to all come together um, and cheer on their respective hero. What I'll say about the event itself is that it's going to be really interesting to see how it's set up, how the, the guys prepare for the event, because it's obviously going to be at a, you know, kind of an off point in the tour calendar, even though it's a wraparound season, you know, Phil and Tiger historically wouldn't necessarily play until January, February, until the, the next calendar year really starts. So we'll see what kind of shape their games are in. It's also going to be interesting to see, you know, if both guys make the Ryder Cup team, if they're still riding that momentum going into this matchup and, and who can get it done. They're, I'll tell you this, they're both very prideful people. They both want to win. They might be at a better point in their career from a competitive standpoint. It's not so much, oh, a Tiger's going to win this event, Phil's going to win this event. They they don't like each other. There's no. It's it's more of a friendly rivalry. Um, but you're still going to see. Uh, there was a, a clip on it that this PGA Tour put out on their official um, Twitter account over the weekend, where uh, the fans have been trying to get Phil to respond. And one of the fans says, you know, are you going to, you know, are you ready to take on Tiger? And Phil just looks at the guy as he's walking up to his next shot and goes, heck yeah, I'm going to beat him. <laughs> and uh, the crowd really loved it. So even though we're, we're months away from the event, Phil's already thinking about it. Tiger's obviously all in for it. It's going to be an amazing event to draw some casual golf fans. So maybe not your hardcore every week PGA Tour watcher. Uh, they're going to want to tune in. I'm sure that at that point in the calendar, it'll be a nice refreshing point. We'll be heavy into the NFL season. The NBA and NHL season will be starting. But it's nice that golf is looking to create some of these smaller events to play around with the formats in a non-traditional way. And I think that we are – you know, the game is going that direction. I, you know, I can't say for certain what's going to happen, but I think that in the future, golf is always known as a traditional sport. I think that it cannot sustain the same traditional uh, setups forever because people want to see new and exciting things. I mean, what draws a ton of attention each year? The home run derby. Um, obviously, whenever FIFA comes around, these big marquee events, they always draw in the casual sport fan. We're hoping that this Phil Tiger matchup uh, can do the same, and so bring bring golf to the to the forefront of the sports uh, the sports eye at the moment. So. Right. I know you got to run, so before you go, do you want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media? Absolutely, you can follow me at Dima. That's D M A H H two O seven on Twitter, uh, and uh, hopefully you enjoy some of my posts. Um, I'll be posting quite a bit as we get closer to the FedEx Cup playoff. And uh, thanks for having me today, Mike. I, I hope I hope a few casual golf fans will tune in, and, and uh, I guess I'll say go Xander, go Jason Duffner, and go Jordan. <laughs> well, thanks for the time, Gan. Thanks for being a friend of the podcast. 
All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. That was Dan Martini, a golf industry professional, with his thoughts on the PGA Championship. Coming up next, this week's two-minute drill, where I'll take a look at Terrell Owens' rationale for skipping the Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Canton right after this. Welcome back to today's two-minute drill. Over the weekend, the Pro Football Hall of Fame inducted its 2018 class. The class had eight people in it. Brian Urlacher, Ray Lewis, Robert Brazil, Bobby Bethard, Randy Moss, Jerry Kramer, Brian Dawkins, and Terrell Owens. Seven of the eight were in Canton, got their, bu- got their bus shown, got the gold jacket, made their speeches. One guy chose not to, do- to go to Canton. You want to take a while to guess who that was? That was Terrell Owens. T.O. decided... Unlike every living Hall of Famer has ever done before, he's not going to go to Canton for his induction. He decides to host his own event at his alma mater, Tennessee Chattanooga. Why would he do that? Let's hear from T.O. himself. So I want to address the elephant in the room. Many of you may be wondering why we're, we're here instead of Canton. There's been a lot of speculation and false reports as to why I chose not to be there. I would like to set the record straight. It's not because how many times it took for me to be voted into the hall. It's about the mere fact that the sports writers are not in alignment with the mission and core values of the Hall of Fame. These writers disregarded the system, the criteria, and bylaws in which guys are inducted and ultimately the true meaning of the Hall of Fame and what it represents. I wanted to take a stand so the next guy coming after me will not have to go through what I and others have gone through. Whether it's three years or 45 years, you should get what you rightfully earned. Now, is anybody buying this? Are we buying a Terrell Owens as some patron saint for the people who've gotten snubbed by the Pro Football Hall of Fame? The Pro Football Hall of Fame is the hardest Hall of Fame to get into. Unlike baseball, where you can ask the question, why is Bill Mazeroski in the Hall of Fame? With the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you're wondering, why isn't this guy in? Now, T.O. took three times to get in. T.O. is far from the first grade to get snubbed on the first ballot. Here are some legends who did not get in when they're first eligible. Paul Brown. He invented the forward pass and revolutionized the game. Not in on his first ballot. Harry Carson, one of the greatest linebackers of all time, waited forever to get inducted. Bill Parcells took multiple teams to the playoffs, rebuilt several franchises, won two Super Bowls, not in on his first ballot. Dick Knight Train Lane, second in the NFL in career picks when he retired in 1965. Didn't make it until 1973. Curtis Martin, top five all-time running back. Joe Namath, won Super Bowl three and helped legitimize the AFL merger. Michael Strahan, one of the greatest defensive ends of all time. Lynn Swan, a great receiver in the Steelers dynasty in the 1970s. Are these guys any less worthy of the Hall of Fame because they didn't make it on the first ballot? The electors are not dumb people. T.O. didn't make it his first two years because of any personal vendettas. It was simply a numbers game. Now, I'll give T.O. the Hall of Fame process is weird. The Hall of Fame only allows five players from the modern era to be elected any year with two senior candidates and a contributor. This is called a business model. If, if football ran its Hall of Fame like baseball, where you just get 75% in, 
There would be a year you'd have 20 people collected, and there could be years where you have nobody. The Hall of Fame is a business. They want to get people coming to Canton every year. The best way to do that is to space out your inductees. Yes, it will leave guys like T.O. waiting a little longer than they should have. Yes, there'll be guys like Harry Carson who wait way too long. But the players get in eventually. And we also know T.O. is not a crusader for others who have been slighted for the Hall of Fame. He's not Lin Swan, who used his induction speech to ask the voters to look at John Stallworth again. John Stallworth got elected the very next year. What does T.O. do with his Hall of Fame speech? Makes it all about himself. Has his own private event where he'd be the center of attention. And he made a bold and blatant attempt just to grab attention away from the Hall of Fame. Shame on you, T.O. And that's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank my guest, Dandy Martini, for stopping by to talk a little golf with the PGA Championship on tap this weekend. If you want more great stuff like this podcast, be sure to check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes soon by searching for Just and the Suffering in the iTunes podcast app. Feel free to leave feedback and star ratings. It will help make the show even better going forward. If you want to follow me on Twitter, feel free to do so at PhillipsM331. That's P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag GolfBets with your picks for the PGA Championship. We're going on a mini break, but stay tuned for brand new episodes coming up at the end of the month. Until then, uh, we have a better week than Yankees fans. Yeah!